Good morning, Grace Point. How are we this morning? Good. I guess I praise the Lord for air conditioning. It is amazing. Um, Me and my wife, Grace, we actually live up in Ramona, California, which isn't too far away from here. So driving up here kind of reminds me of our drive back home. Um, We essentially, I mean, a couple weeks ago, actually, I had a guy from Valley Center come over to my place and buy a Jeep part off of me. And he gets out of his truck and he looks at me and says, man, I thought I lived in the middle of nowhere. I was like, well, not exactly. And then we're driving out here today, and Grace is like, oh, hey, they're getting a tractor supply. It's your favorite store in Ramona. I was like, yeah. So I totally relate with you guys, and especially the struggle of getting home after you go to the grocery store and knowing you forgot your milk. So it's, uh, it's a struggle, but we love it, and I uh, definitely love uh, doing that. I grew up uh, in Ramona from about the age of four until now. We still live on my parents' 10 acres on the west side of town, and I... Uh, we were living in, I bought us a big fifth-wheel trailer to be living in as we're saving up for a house right now. Um, you guys know the struggle for that. And uh, God is so gracious to us and good. Our AC still works. So and uh, so I grew up taking care of horses with my neighbors and just having a lot of fun on the property. So I, I can relate with you guys a lot in that sense. And I'm very excited to be here with you guys. This is the, the house of God and the people of God in Valley Center. So it's, a, it's definitely a joy for me to be with you guys this morning. So a little bit more about me spiritually, I would say. Um, grew up going to church. Um, with my family, they were my parents were strong believers. They still are. Uh, they've been married almost 30 years now, and um, accepted the Lord probably around eight or nine. I don't really remember exactly when that was, uh, but I could say pretty confidently I've been a Christian knowingly for about 15 years now. Um, I'll be 25 next week, and uh, about 2014 I graduated Cal State from Cal State San Marcos with my criminal justice degree and uh, sociology. And about halfway through that degree program, the Lord completely took me for a U-turn and said, actually, uh, very clearly, you're going into ministry. And I was like, okay, like, what's that going to look like? So um, it, was, it was kind of a, a different turn of events. I was on a fast track to uh, become a cop um, here. That was my dream for, you know, years and years and years. And the Lord said, no, actually, uh, it gave me a bigger vision for a, a purpose in the ministry. And that's actually how I ended up at Cross Connection Church. And I'm a pastor there now. Uh, was about, at that time, 2014, I jumped on to Cross Connection. They invited me to come on as a pastoral intern. Um, and Pastor Miles down there, if you don't know, he's the Calvary Chapel Church Planting Director. So he, uh, that was kind of my, my vision for that. I was like, hey, if I could spend some time with a senior pastor that's the director of church planting, like that's kind of my, my direction and my goal is eventually I'd love to plant a church um, and to, to go through doing that. So we spent some time together. Um, I started showing up on Sundays, serving and uh, shadowing actually Grace's dad, Pastor Mark. And that's how we got to know each other. We got married uh, last o- October um, 28th. I still remember. It's only been about six months. <laughs> got to remember those things. And uh, anyways, and then about uh, March this year, the board of directors, our board of elders at our church and pastoral staff, they had a unanimous meeting and they decided to uh, ordain me as a pastor. And I was a, a huge blessing and a confirmation to the call that God's given me. So it's a ple- definitely a, a blessing and a joy to be with you guys this morning. So Uh, We're going to be filling, or basically picking up where Gunner left off in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 12, this morning. And i got to say, Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible uh, because it's just so practical. There's so much in it that we can can learn from and just practically apply to our lives. um, And Paul is just such a great example to us in that. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, if you guys will turn there, I'm going to start reading. Um, I'm reading in the ESV, so if you guys have a lesser translation, I'm kidding. You guys will be able, you guys will be able to keep up, I, I guarantee. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can grab one underneath the chairs. I know they're in there, um, but we'd love for you to have a Bible. And this is uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often have told you of, and I now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. With their mind set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Would you guys all bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word. Would you pour out your spirit afresh upon Grace Point Church and those before me this morning. I pray that your spirit would open our ears to hear what your spirit would have for us this morning. Lord, each of us in, in our individual lives, what we're going through right now, Lord, would you apply this text and Lord, would you write it on our hearts. Lord, I pray right now also for Pastor Gunner and his family as he gets to take the next four weeks off. Um, Lord, we lift him up to you. We pray that you'd spiritually refresh him, recharge him. Um, and Lord, just be with him and his family and just give them a blessed uh, vacation and rest as they uh, get to take the next couple weeks off. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name. And the church said, amen. All right, so... This is, this is a, such a great text because what I, what I see here is God's providence, or maybe Gunner planned this, but ha, ha, re- reaching this text right after the 4th of July, where we celebrate our 242nd birthday as the United States of America, which I think we are just so blessed to be part of this nation. Amen? Uh, we have so many privileges here, and it's no coincidence, I don't think, that we come to a place in the, in the Bible where it talks about our citizenship in heaven and happiness, joy. And Paul addresses both of those things. In fact, in our founding documents, one of the best-known sentences in it was that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I would say 242 years of pursuing happiness, and I would say just generally we haven't found it. (laughs) We haven't found it. We haven't figured it out yet. And I know I would say that in part because one, one thing I know is that one of the highest selling and highest prescribed drugs in America today are antidepressants. Yeah. And, that's a, and that's a sad thing. That breaks my heart that over these, these years, we still have not been able to found happiness. We've pursued it. The world has a lot of different things it'll point to to say, hey, you'll be happy with the new truck. You'll be happy with the new tractor. You'll be happy with this or that, whatever it may be. And yet... It's all, it's all meaningless, ultimately. We'll, we'll find that only our happiness can be found as citizens of heaven and with the joy of the Lord. So I'm going to share with you guys my direction and my goal this morning for us as we dive into the text. My goal is that we would leave Grace Point Church today knowing the true key to finding happiness in a chaotic and fallen world. And then that we would also leave having the perspectives as citizens of heaven. So that's my goal. Um, we're going to jump in. And in this text in particular, in chapter 3, Paul gives us this um, kind of this salvation sandwich, I like to call it. It's these three different salvation terms that we see in the Bible. Um, the first being justification, the second being sanctification, and the third being glorification. And if this was a real sandwich, it would be the most delicious one and just the most satisfying, I believe, because that is salvation is satisfying. And it, 
we could get so much joy from it. And in this, we see justification in earlier, um, we actually studied this last week with Pastor Gunner, where Paul talks about it, but justification meaning that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, and therefore recounted righteous by God. And it's this amazing thing that God justifies us, and it's, it's basically this, this thing that happens as soon as you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. As soon as you said, you know, you believed that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that would whoever would believe in him, Jesus Christ, would not perish but have everlasting life. You were justified and then also given the Holy Spirit. You're blessed with that. That's justification. And Paul talks about this, actually. And if you guys just look back into Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, I'll read it for you. It says this, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, counted them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes from faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in death. By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So that's where he kind of gives us that overview of this theological, this, this salvation, these terms right here. So sanctification is actually what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. And, and sanctification is this process. In fact, my, my personal definition of sanctification would be that God is today in the process of transforming your character to match your calling. And he's doing that to make you holy like God is holy. He's saying basically spending time with Jesus to become like Jesus. And it's this process that is exhausting, church. You guys are all experiencing it right now. You're in some process of it. If you have believed in Christ as Lord and Savior, it's exhausting. You've experienced this. It's, it is tough. It can be painful at times. You're learning, you're growing, you're repenting, and you're having to change. Every day, that's part of this Christian life that we get to, we get to walk in. And this, this process of sanctification, because, because we've been justified, become righteous before God does not mean that we're now perfect before God. It does not mean that the end of our, our, our journey is right there. So how do we find joy in the journey of sanctification. And Paul gets to talk about that because Paul has this life of just full of experiences, 30 plus years of being a Christian, and he had everything happen to him that could possibly happen to him that could go wrong. And yet he still could find joy in the journey of sanctification. And the third being glorification is this idea that one day we will become like Christ, meaning sinless. This is God's final act of removing sin completely from his saints. You guys that believe in Christ today are his saints. You didn't have to do anything special. You just had to believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now you're a saint. He changed your name. Uh, so you could put saint in front of your name if you want. You know, It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> glorification, though. In short, so we, we believe we've been justified. We're being sanctified, and we're longing for the day that we all become glorified. Amen? And that's what's so great, and that's the joy that we have. So we're going like, to look at this a little bit more. So one thing that's important church this morning is that we don't lose the joy of our salvation. The Bible talks about this all over. You look in the Psalms 55, it talks about, don't, for Lord, renew my, the joy of your salvation in me. Renew a right spirit in me. We'll see that there. Paul doesn't forget his salvation. He doesn't forget the joy of his salvation. He doesn't forget what he was saved from. You see, the longer you walk with Christ, and over the 15 years I've walked with Christ that I can remember, it, can, it has been easy for me to forget, what have I been saved from? What was I like before God saved me? Before he took my heart, he transformed the heart of stone, and he made it something that he could mold and shape into the calling that he's given me. What did that look like? Paul never forgot. So what, what were Paul's BC days, his before Christ days, if you will? Um, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was you know, part of the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr for the church, really. And 
Then he hated the church so much, he hated Jesus Christ, and he sought to seek and destroy any Christians that he could. And he would do that. Um, In one instance here, he was on his way to Damascus with legal documentation to essentially go and chain up all of the Christians there and parade them around town to shame them. That was his goal. His goal was to shame them until Jesus showed up, until Jesus showed up into his life. And Paul tells his testimony like this in 1 Timothy uh, 1, verse 12 through 16. You guys are welcome to turn there if you want. Um, this, this is Paul's own testimony of himself here. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with, with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God had a plan in saving Saul. And he changed his name into Paul. He gave him a new name. And he did some amazing things through Paul. And Paul never forgot what Paul did in his life, that formerly he was a blasphemer, he was a persecutor, he was an insolent opponent. Paul had a pretty crazy background there. Like he, he knew what he, like that he was an enemy, he was a rebel against Christ. And Paul's this primary great example to us today that while we were still sinners in Romans 5.8, Christ died for us. And that's what's so great is that it's not like God's waiting for us to arrive. He's not waiting for us to clean up our act and then come to him. He's not waiting for us to leave our sin and like get clean ourselves off and, and step out of that just and then, then seek him. No, he's saying, like, I'm meeting you right where you're at. That's the joy we have in the story of Paul. That's the joy we have for our family members, our friends, our neighbors who aren't Christians yet. Is that we don't have to tell them, hey, you need to change. You need to stop cursing. You need to stop doing this to other people. You need to stop stealing. You need to stop doing drugs. No, God's going to meet them right where they're at. We need to be praying for these people. We need to be an example for these people. Paul's life shows us this. There's joy in our salvation. And there's joy in the fact that God meets us right where we're at. So Paul's life as a Christian now, as, as a Christian, he becomes what I, what I consider, like whenever I read about Paul growing up, I always envisioned him kind of as this superhero of the faith, kind of standing on a building with a cape flowing in the wind because he just did everything so well. And it's just like incredible. So he plants a dozen or so churches um, traveling pretty much the whole known world at his day. And... Um, he's well into his 60s at this time of, of writing at least this book. He goes into prison many times. Um, he writes a third of the Bible back to these churches that he planted around the world, basically addressing issues that have developed over the years. And luckily, at least for us in, in, in Philippians, if I like to say, if I was a pastor in any of these churches that Paul planted, I'd want to be in Philippi because he wasn't writing to Philippi, to the church in Philippi, to address any big theological or sin issue in the church. And that was the one thing, and, it, and he loved this church. He loved the people there. He spent about, you know, four years with them, um, according to some, some, uh, some people. Um, and it's just interesting that when he's writing to them, in his 60s right now, he's in prison. It's one of his prison apost- epistles. And he is telling them how to have joy in every situation of life. He's saying, look, I became a Christian, and it wasn't all health, wealth, and, and happiness. I became a Christian, and I was shipwrecked so many times. I became a Christian, and I was beaten. I became a Christian, and I had to suffer. I became a Christian, and I was impoverished. I became a Christian, and people came against me. Yet, Paul had this crazy joy because of the, 
of good news of Christ in him because the Holy Spirit in him, that if you threaten Paul with death, he had this really cool theology that said he got excited because he, he was like joyful. Okay, we're going to kill you, Paul. Well, that's good because to die is gain. If you threatened to leave him alone, he would just say, great, to live is Christ. I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. If you threatened to torture Paul, he had this really weird eschatology, which is a study of kind of our end time, if, if you will, a death and judgment, that would merely state that this present suffering was nothing compared to the glory that was to come. So do your worst. Do your worst to me. Torture me. It's great because what I'm going through right now is nothing compared to the glory that's to come. That's hope and joy that we have right now, church. Then if you put him in prison, you say, okay, Paul, we're going to have to put you in prison because you won't shut up about Jesus. Okay, put me in prison. I'm going to convert your guards and prisoners. It's like there was nothing you could do to this guy. And yet Paul even could turn this thorn in the flesh that he called, this thorn in the flesh given to him by God. And he says, there was given to me by God an evil spirit to torment me. Why? That I might not boast of my exceedingly great revelation. Whoa. And that was, that was a little translation out of the NIGV, the newly inspired Garrett version there, uh, if you will. But that's basically what, what happened. He's saying, like, I had this thorn in the flesh, and he could turn that into an amazing thing for God. Paul is this picture for us that no matter what stage of sanctification you're in right now, that you can experience joy, that you can find happiness. You don't just have to pursue it your whole life. You can find happiness no matter where you're at. We see very little in the life of Paul that would cause us to look back and say, you know, he could do that better. And that's why God gave him, such a, gave him a, such a great example for us today. I mean, this Paul is the man who has to say this in Philippians 3. We'll pick up back in verse 12. Not that I have obtained this or I'm already perfect. Now, how many of us, now you don't have to raise your hand, but I've ever had to gather our family together or our wife or uh, husbands together and say, hey, you know, I'm not perfect. But one thing I do, <laughs> leaving what's behind and I'm straining towards what's ahead. Like, no, we've never had to get everyone together and explain to them why we're not perfect, right? <laughs> I don't think I've ever had to do that. My wife knows very well that I'm not perfect. And yet Paul He's having to say this. Not that I have obtained this or I'm already perfect. Why? Because he's saying after 30 plus years of following Christ, of planting a dozen or so churches in the known world at the time, writing a third of the Bible, he's saying I still haven't attained this because glorification isn't going to be in this life. The process of glorification is coming next. You know, and our hope and our joy is, can't be all in the completion of God's glorification here in this life. So what does Paul mean by Perfection. It means this, and your translation might say complete or glorified or holy. We see a good correlation here in Matthew 5:48, where Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's the same idea in Leviticus 20, 26, where he says, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. God's saying, be holy as I am holy. I've separated you apart. Christian, you've been separated apart. You can no longer be part of the world. You're now a citizen of heaven. You're separated apart by God for his good purpose, that you should be his, that you should be joyful. And just because we've been justified doesn't mean that we can get this instant download. You know, today I always say we kind of live in like a microwave culture, but it's an instant download culture where it's like everything comes so fast when the Wi-Fi is going slow. And you guys can definitely relate with this. Like I have internet problems all the time in our place. And it gets so frustrating, amen? And, and yet, as a Christian, we have to realize that sanctification isn't an instant download. It's a process we're going through throughout our whole life. And yet, there have been people that I've talked to that, that thought that they, they've actually arrived as a believer. They've achieved as much as they need to know in the scripture, that they've, they've learned what they needed to. And especially on the college campuses, man, you find these people that think they're perfect. 
And I was like, man, it's just like you start breaking it down. It's like, how are you perfect? It just doesn't work like that. And, and in fact, the Bible talks about this. He says in Proverbs 26, 21, it says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And I just laugh every time somebody would come to me and say, I've been perfect. In fact, I was reading uh, Charles Spurgeon. You might have heard of him, uh, the Prince of Preachers. There was a story where a young man came to be admitted into his school, and he's sitting on the other side of this desk from Charles Spurgeon, who was a big man, much larger than myself. And he's saying, Charles, you should admit me into your pastoral program because I've been perfect for three weeks. And, and Charles like had this sense of humor about him. I would have loved to have him as a pastor in fact, that he stands up and he walks around to this young man and with the full weight of his heel steps on his foot. It didn't take very long for this young man to step out of the kingdom and lose his temper. <laughs> and, and this is the whole idea. And he looked at Spurgeon and said, well, what was that for? Like, he said, that'll break your perfection streak. Like, there's just no, you, you know, we have to realize that we're going to stumble, we're going to fall. We live in a fallen and broken world. We live around broken people and sinful people means that we're going to be falling. We're going to be, be tripping here. Perfection isn't something we aspire to. It's something we run towards. This Christian life is a race. That's how Paul describes it here. It's a race that we're running towards this perfection, towards the goal and the glory that God promises us. And Paul gives us this great example of how we can have joy in this journey. In verse 13, But one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You know, my wife and I sometimes when we have a day off together, it's kind of rare, um, but when we do, we'll look at each other and say, hey, what do you you want to do today? And we'll kind of go back and forth, back and forth until one of us decides like, okay, it's hot. We're going to go jump in my parents' pool. Um, and if you asked Paul at any given time or any given day, Paul, what are we doing today? You know, if Timothy was with Paul, Paul, what are we doing today? Barnabas is with Paul, what are we doing today? Well, we're going to forget what's behind and press on to what lies ahead. One thing we do, the one thing we do, this is the key to joy in our sanctification, church. This is the key right here, and Paul gives it to us, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You know, our past can be so detrimental to us, in fact, if, you st- if you, all you're doing is looking back at your past and mourning over your past and letting that build up inside you and weigh you down, you're never going to have a future. So the way I look at it is a man without a future is a man, with, or a man without a vision is a man without a future, and a man without a future will always return to the past, and it works for gals too. The whole idea is that we're, if we're not straining towards something, if we don't have our eyes set on the future, a goal, the glorification that God's promised us, then we're always going to return back to our past. We're always going to do that. That's just the nature of our human being. It's like you're driving, you're driving a, a car up the 15 freeway and all you're doing is looking in the rearview mirror the whole time. You know, the mirrors are, are, are given to us for a purpose. We can learn from them. We can make sure we don't hit another car with them, you know, when we change lanes. But if you're driving and all you're doing is looking up at the rearview mirror and what's going on behind you, you're headed for destruction. And it's the same way with our life, with our past. If you're starting to go forward but all you're doing is looking back, church, we, we can't be that distracted with our past. Paul's saying that we, we can't do that. We had to forget what's behind. We had to forget the, Paul had to forget something too. He had to forget his confidence in the flesh. He had to forget his former failures, his former sins, that he was a former blasphemer. He had to forget that stuff, but then he also had to forget his former victories. Now here's what we can get caught up as Christians, I think, is that we can forget, we we remember our former victories, and sometimes our former victories, we make these like trophies. 
our spiritual victories, when we have these spiritual moments with God and we can make a trophy and always go back and we identify ourselves with that moment that God changed us, that he did something amazing in our life. And while that's good, it can also be detrimental because God's trying to do something new. His mercies are new every morning. He's trying to do something new and teach you something new every single day. When we run this race, we don't want to look behind us to look how, how close our competition is, if you will. It's like if you're running a race on a track and you try to look back to see somebody that's behind you, or I used to mountain bike cross-country race, and you never looked back. If somebody was going to pass you, they'd say, hey, I'm on your left or I'm on your right, and I'm going to pass you, and you know they were going to pass you because they were a better rider or a better runner, and that's just how it worked. But you never look back. Why? Because then you get distracted. You get distracted and you you lose the beat of your running, you lose the beat of your pedaling, and all of a sudden, you've lost time. All of a sudden, now you're, you're stuck. So what's the hope then? If you have a past that is just full of pain, if you know people that have pasts that are full of pain, full of disappointment, full of stuff that they've done that they, they absolutely detest, that they think, I can't come to God because of that. Or maybe you think, I can't move forward with God because of this or that. I messed up. Well, First Peter 5.7 kind of will clarify that. Cast all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. It's not saying, hey, cast some of your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Cast only the, the light stuff. I don't really want the dirty stuff that you have. I don't want your bad past. He's saying, cast all of it on me because I care for you. In Psalm fifty five twenty two, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. So cast your burden on the Lord and he's going to sustain you. He loves you so much that he wants to take your burden. He wants to sustain you and he wants to care for you all at the same time. And there's hope for you. There's hope for your friends. There's hope for you if today you don't believe in Christ. There's hope for you in your sin because you can lay your past at the foot of the cross. And God's going to make you white as snow. He's going to renew you. He's going to restore you and make you a new man, a new woman. I say there's joy in forgetfulness because we've been promised a future and a hope. There's joy in forgetfulness because we've been promised a future and a hope. So we must move forward to what lies ahead and move past even our victories in Christ. So there was a, a pastor here locally. I heard this story um, from Pastor Miles, actually. Uh, there was a local pastor here, like, years and years ago. He got to talk to a pretty famous evangelist called Billy Graham. Maybe you've heard of him. And he asked Billy Graham this question, and he said, Billy, what was it like? What was it like, Billy, when you got to go to Hong Kong in Asia, a closed country at the time, and you were invited to preach the gospel there? You didn't know if anyone was going to show up. 60,000 people show up in this closed country, and you got to share the good news with these people for the first time they've ever heard it, and tens of thousands of people were saved. What was that like? And Billy looked at, at this young pastor, and he said, you know, when, when Ruth, his wife, and I, he said, when we, when we started out in the ministry, we made one goal, to forget what was behind us and strain forward to what lies ahead. So we started praying for the next, next city. We started praying for the next town, the next country, the next people that we were going to meet. Tens of thousands of people. This is a huge spiritual victory for the kingdom of God. And Billy's saying, no, like, we didn't dwell on that. We didn't make a trophy of that in our past. He said, yeah, God did an amazing thing, but he was going to do something amazing in the, in, in the future too. That's the way that the Holy Spirit works in us. And similarly, with revivals, if you've been part of an, uh, there was a huge, crazy, awesome revival, the Jesus movement back in the 60s. And some people got to be part of that. I know people in our church that were part of that. And it's just an amazing thing, but it's like if you hold that as your identity, like, yeah, I was a Christian from the Jesus movement. It's like, that's great, but what is God doing now in you? How is God changing you now? How is God pouring out his spirit through you now? So my, my, my encouragement to you, church, don't be a one-hit wonder Christian. 
Don't be a one-hit wonder Christian. And verse 15 continues with this. Let, let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Christian maturity is simply this. It's knowing and being aware of how sinful you are and being honest with how sinful you are. Christian maturity, right there, summed up. Being aware of how sinful you are and being honest with how sinful you are. And a real Christian maturity is this ability to act on the guidance you've already received. It's being obedient to what you've already learned in the text. We're all a different process of, of sanctification. We all know the Bible at a different level. We all have learned different things. We've all been in church a different amount of time. It's being faithful. It's being obedient to what you've already learned, what you've already attained in the scripture. It's saying, okay, I know I'm not supposed to do this sin anymore, so I'm going to pray. Gosh, I think, church, like how many times I would make a different decision and I wouldn't have fallen into sin if I had just stopped and prayed right where I was. But the problem I see, especially in church, and Paul sees it too, is that there's people in church that are just merely intellectual Christians, that they've learned it all, but they don't want to apply it all because there's a discipline that comes to applying and being obedient to the text that we've read. There's a discipline, there's a pain that comes along with that because now we have to, sac- we have to be, kind of sacrifice our desires, our flesh. Our flesh isn't easy to tame. But we must hold on to the progress that we've already made. And I I think especially by meditating on the word of God so it's written in our hearts. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their joy is in their, their glory is in their shame, and their mind is set on earthly things. So join in imitating me. Here Paul is saying, I want you guys to imitate my example. And I want you to look at other people that are following my example. Why does Paul say that? Because I see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says, Brothers, imitate God. Therefore, imitate God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ so loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. So Paul here is saying, no, I, I want you to follow my example. Well, you have to realize that the church of Philippi had never seen Jesus. They had never seen Jesus. And on top of that, they didn't have a full Bible that we have today. They didn't have a New Testament written out for the example of Christ written in their own language that they could read at any time they wanted. They couldn't pull out their smartphone in their pocket and look up a scripture reference about how would God, how, what would Jesus do? They didn't have the what would Jesus do bracelet. They probably had the what would Paul do bracelet because Paul had spent four years with them in this church. He had built up this church from the ground up. He had discipled many believers there and they had seen his example. They had seen how he walked through the stresses of life, the stresses of working, of having to you know, go through pain of having to minister to others who are in pain, um, and, and they've seen Paul's example in Christ. And Paul's saying, so brothers, join in imitating me. Join in imitating me. Paul laid a very good foundation for how these brothers should act. Um, in fact, there's, um, there's this quote here by D.L. Moody that I found that I absolutely love, um, especially in this text. It says, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. I just thought, like, wow, that is so true. So, church, this morning, I want to remind you that you guys, no matter what process of sanctification you're in, you're an example. You're not only an example to other believers who may be further ahead than you or further behind in their walk with God. You're an example to believers, but you're also an example to the non-believers. You have a bunch of eagle eyes watching you every step you make. I pray that we can be obedient. I pray that we can find joy in our salvation, that people would see that we're joyful. I always tell my wife, like, there's no such thing as a Christian Eeyore. Like, there just can't be. Like, there's just no such thing as a Christian Eeyore. We can't walk around mopey all day. Like, we have a joy in Christ that is so great and so filling that it's like we can't walk around and be mopey all day. No matter what we're going through, we have to find joy in Christ. 
because this present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that's to come. Amen? People are watching you, and we must be an example. I find oftentimes that our failure is the greatest teacher. It's a greater teacher than success. You learn a lot from your failures, and I think that we need to teach the next generation from our failures. In fact, I found this, this wisdom from uh, St. Yoda in The Last Jedi movie, um, if you will. His, he said this, and, I, and it hit me so hard when I watched this the other day. He said, pass on what you've learned, strength, mastery, but weakness, folly, failure also. Yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. Yo- Luke, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. Now, when I heard that right there, we are what they grow beyond. As a Christian, that just tugged at my heart. That said, wow, as a Christian, am I trying to raise up at the next generation, the younger people, even younger than me, or am I trying to encourage those who are older to be raising up people that will stand on their shoulders and do more for the kingdom of God than they were able to accomplish? That's my heart. That's my burden as a pastor. That's my burden as a Christian is that I would be discipling other people, that would be an example to other people, that they could see from my failures and from my successes, and they would be able to to move the kingdom of God to another level than I was able to accomplish in my life. That's my prayer. That was Paul's prayer. That was his burden as a pastor. We can't allow our pride from keeping us from doing that, though. We've got to be willing to ask God, will you raise up with the next generation to move your kingdom forward to places unreached, to ears that haven't heard it? For many, in verse 18, of whom I have often told you, now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is in their shame, their mind is on earthly things. Paul's heart, he's truly heartbroken here. You know, he, he, uh, a lot of commentators don't think he actually physically wrote most of his stuff, he had people there writing. So I can imagine there sitting in the room, Paul's making this address. And I've often told you of these people. And then he starts crying, even with tears in his eyes. Like he adds that to the text as they're writing it. Paul's emotionally moved that there's the fact that there's Christians in the church that are enemies of the cross of Christ. There's people that will raise their hands in worship in, in church this morning all around the world that really are enemies of the cross of Christ. How, do we, how does Paul know this? Well, their lives haven't been changed. If there's any indicator, their life hasn't changed. Their actions haven't changed. They haven't been transformed and renewed by God. They're people who satisfy their own desires before considering the desires of others. They're people that, that their appetite is their God. Now, it says their end is destruction because their God is their belly or appetite, and some of your texts will, will say it that way. And this doesn't just refer to an appetite for food. It refers to an appetite for sensuality an appetite for pleasure, it's going to sex, it's going to, to whatever you, you need to go to, your wealth, health, you know, anything you need to go to outside of the kingdom of God to find that little bit of happiness, a little bit of joy, that little bit of feel good. And then they laugh about their shame, the glory in their shame. This means that when they're confronted with the sin in their lives, when a brother or, or sister in Christ walks up and confronts them with the sin in their lives because they're in church, that's what we're supposed to do, they, they make excuses for every sin that they've committed. There's always another excuse, church, I found. I've been in, in pastoral-type ministry now for four, over four years, so probably close to six now, actually, and there's always an excuse for sin. There's always an excuse. There's always a way that they want to justify themselves for sinning. No matter how great it is, no matter how bad your day was <laughs> that caused you to sin, we have to, we have to, take, we have to take it and we have to confess that. 
Because we don't want to be like these people that their, their God is their belly. We don't want to be those people that turn to other things outside of the kingdom of God when we have so much joy and so much pleasure and so much perfection that God's offering us here inside the kingdom of God through his Holy Spirit. So here's the question we can take home today is, when confronted with sin, do we listen or do we defend ourselves? When confronted with sin, do we listen or do we defend ourselves? Paul's heart is broken. He's saying, no, the real Christian example is modeling servanthood and self-sacrifice in your life. It's modeling servanthood and self-sacrifice in your life. That's what Christ did. That's what Paul was doing. Counted everything as lost for the sake of the gospel. Self-sacrifice and servanthood. And the truth is, is these people, like they may, they may think, and we may think for a short period of time that, that gaining the world will make us happy, but all you have to do is read Ecclesiastes. I mean, hearing Ecclesiastes, it's a whole book about this, about how everything is meaningless. And this is a man who had everything. He had more than we could ever hope to have. He had more money. He had more health. He had more people around him, more advisors around him. He had the most education. He had 700 wives, if you needed pleasure. 700 wives and then 1,000, I always say porcupines, but they're concubines. Um, and you just think, like, this guy had it all, and yet he could still look back in his whole life and say, I achieved everything that I could dream of. That was, accomplished, or that was even made to be accomplished back then. And it was all meaningless apart from my hope and my joy and salvation through Christ Jesus, through God. And this is why our mind is so critically important. We're going to be talking about our mind in, in the process of sanctification over the next couple of weeks too. Um, I'm really looking forward to that because so many people, they'll, they'll give their mind you know, an hour where they'll think about God on Sundays. And then the rest of the week, their mind is thinking about things that they have no control over that causes them stress, anxiety, and depression. And they just think about these things. When you, what you think on really matters. What you allow to linger in your, thought, in your thoughts really matters. But we have a hope because we can think about our citizenship in heaven. You see, there's, there's hope in this. And every, every human being needs hope. You know, I don't think there's a measurable amount of time that we can live without hope, quite honestly. We have hope in the fact that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. In verse 20, the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Here's the joy in the journey. So, this, this joy, the, the summation of this joy here is that our citizenship is in heaven. We have something to look forward to. That God's in this process of, of changing our lives, changing our character to match our calling. He's making us holy like God is holy every step of the way, every mistake that we make, every success we have, every failure we have. He's changing us to be more like him. That's the joy in the journey is that we can look forward to the citizenship in heaven and from it we await a savior, that he's coming back. Amen? That we have a heavenly glorified body that God's promising us. Some of us have aches and pains that we don't know what to do with and no amount of Tylenol is going to help it. And quite honestly, that's the hope that we have is that when you're in this pain, this future, this present suffering is nothing compared to the future glory that's to come. I'm going to get a new body. This isn't permanent. Thank God. (laughs) This isn't permanent. This is so temporary. He's going to transform our bodies and we have to remember that this is the hope that we have throughout our process of sanctification, throughout the process of becoming holy like God is holy. And I hope that you guys believe that, that we have this joy in our salvation. 
that he separates sin completely from his saints. Sin drags us down. You know, we live around sinners. We are walking through a sinful world because our, our world is cursed by sin until Christ's return and, and clean, cleanses it. And until he takes us home, either through a rapture or through us dying and coming in, into his presence with our last breath, that's, that's the, the glorification we're going to receive right then. It's instant. It's going to be so awesome. And I just pray that you guys would have this heavenly perspective because if we want to have and maintain our joy in a fallen world, we have to maintain a heavenly perspective right now, today. We have to maintain this heavenly perspective. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Paul sees that these, these, these Christians were his joy and crown. This was the joy and crown, not of a king, but of somebody victorious in running a race. And Paul is our great example because he ran the race strong. He ran the race strong. And I pray for you guys, and I've been praying for you guys for the last couple of weeks, that you guys would finish your race strong, that you would continue to run strong that you would stand firm thus in the Lord, knowing that we've been justified, knowing that we're in the process of being sanctified with the hope that we're going to be glorified, that we're going to become like Christ, that you would stand firm in that. That's our joy. That's our joy and the fact that we get to share this joy with other people and we get to see other people come to the saving knowledge of Christ as their king. Would you guys all bow your heads and let's pray. Is it close? Lord, we, we thank you for this text. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in us this morning. Lord, would you pour out upon us as we go into our week. Lord, would you help each one of us to be an example, whether it's at home, whether it's in the workplace this week, whether it's around our family members who don't know you that drive us crazy. Lord, whatever it may be, whatever, whatever in our past can, that can hold us back, Lord, I pray that we would lay it at the foot of your cross and that we would press forward to the heavenly perspective and the future that you have called us into. So, Lord, continue to move in us, continue to shape us. Continue, Lord, to pour out your spirit of joy into us. And I pray for those that have lost that spirit of joy and the joy of their salvation this morning. Lord, would you renew that joy and re-spark it in their life by your Holy Spirit this morning. And, Lord, we long and look forward to the next couple weeks as we get to uh, seek, seeking peace with God, Lord, what that looks like in ourselves and others. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would... Do a mighty work in each one of us this week. In Jesus' good name, the church said.